Listener Production. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. This audio edition is created in conjunction with partners as part of our Market Voice series. Well, whenever we do something at MI3 with today's guest or one of his companies, audience interest typically goes through the roof. He was the former CEO of Dentsu Aegis Network in Australia and New Zealand, where he engineered a rapid growth phase for the group and a slate of acquisitions, although it wasn't without some controversy and contention. But Simon Ryan left Dentsu Aegis late in 2018 for car sales and then last year started RyanCap, a new independent Australian marketing services holding company that Ryan says is designed from the outset to upend conventional agency digital marketing and tech models. Now, there's been plenty of speculation about the investors behind RyanCap, Harold Mitchell is not one, Simon tells me. And what are Ryan Cap's real ambitions and its business model? So, Simon Ryan is here on the mics to unpack all of that and more. Welcome, Simon Ryan. We have a lot of territory to cover, but let's start with Ryan Cap's model. Why now and why another marketing services holding company, albeit an Australian version? What's going on inside companies that you're talking to that gives you the sense there's an opportunity? And what are the conversations you're having with business at large on, on this? Thanks, Paul. I'll start by saying congratulations on MI3 to you and the team. I think uh, you're doing an outstanding uh, job for the industry and, and for yourselves, and it's uh, it's great to be part of the podcast today. So, first Well, charming, thing, Simon. You. Good start thank to the you. podcast. We couldn't start for a better one. <laughs> Ask for a better one, could we? <laughs> Flattery gets you everywhere, I'm yes. told. Um, I think, you know, the first thing is around the why. So we'll go mm. through the, the model and the rationale and, and the ethos of the business, but I think just looking at the why first because you've got to start – when you start a new business and you start during COVID – um, you've, you you start with a bit of a double whammy, really, don't you? So um, you probably didn't see that one coming. No, but I actually delayed the launch, and then as I delayed the launch to July one, uh, COVID wasn't getting much better. Right. So I just thought, well, you know what, we're going to do it because I've already hired people. So off we go. So July one last year, and, and and why did we do it? I think you know we saw a real gap in the market to focus on the digital landscape, um, and to be different and better, and whatever we could do versus our competitors. Uh, just some, some market numbers. You know, Australia is a sort of a $16, $17 billion media market. Um, it's a $95 billion tech and data and IT market. And on the digital transformation consulting side, it's just under $2 billion, um, meaning that there is a, a need to focus on what I see as the three core areas um, in what a new world digital agency should focus on. Um, I also assess the, the, the global parent companies and, and having, as you pointed out before, having worked for a few of them over my life and, and after having a fabulous career at Dentsu for, for uh, nine years, I was assessing the market and I assessed uh, a lot of the global guys. Um, if you, and if you read their annual reports, um, what you find interesting is, is that only about 30 to 40% of what they do is actually focusing on digital meaning that they're operating uh, ultimately in what is a legacy way, not designed for the future. So that's also uh, shown in the results, unfortunately. So what I saw was there was a real opportunity to launch an Australian parent company. And I'm, and I'm not saying that we're the first. Um, you know, S4, which is not Australian, but they have launched a, a, a largely a digital marketing services business. That's Martin Sorrell's so uh, crew. Martin Sorrell, yep. yeah. And, and we are... 
we are not too dissimilar, but um, I suppose understanding the local market, the Australian market, and having a real focus on, you know, the numbers that I mentioned before and looking at how we can have high growth really gave uh, the business the opportunity to grow to where it is today and where it will be in a few years. So, you know, we're operating with no legacy, um, uh, not creating new legacy. I think it's important that leg- leg- important to point out that legacy is an obstacle to speed and growth. So this is something that the global parent companies are dealing with now and will continue to deal with um, for some time in my view and ultimately a few of them may be left behind. Um, there is also a reluctance to change in a lot of those large companies um, which is often seen as being a protectionist type inward environment um, which ultimately has an, a, has an ill effect on culture which, which then, you know, starts, you know, having a downward spiral with some of these global businesses which we are seeing today. So therefore the opportunity is there for an Australian parent company to design and execute a digital marketing services business which is fit for the current and the future. And, and I think if you look, if you understand all that and where the global parent companies are going and ultimately, uh, you know, this is all about the client, right? So it's all about the clients getting the services they need to grow their business. So if you understand the market and you look at the things that we're doing, which we'll get to, um, momentum is key. You know, for a lot of our competitors, they have no momentum. Um, and I'm not only talking about some of the, the big global parent companies, you know, some of the local ones have been around for a long time who haven't focused on digital. Um, I'm not saying they're bad businesses. They're, they're good businesses in their own right, but I think we've got a different plan and a different trajectory on on growth. Um, we have in our driving change for our clients, and we'll get to that um, with some examples shortly, I hope, um, our business and the industry. I think that, you know, thank you for what you said at the start, but I think we're, we're not a business seeking stardom. We're, we're actually a business seeking the best results for our, for our clients through the capability that we will grow. Um, and I think some local and international parent companies, you know, this could be the call out, but won't survive the next two years. And I think if you if you look at their their annual reports, you look at their balance sheet, um, you look at the cost, you know, you know, there's a wave of costs coming, probably not as much revenue for them because they're operating legacy ways. So what does that mean? Are they servicing clients to the optimum level or are they being inwardly focused businesses that are focusing on um, their own safety rather than their clients. So I think now is the opportunistic time to launch a new business that creates a strong point of difference in the Australian market. And I think, you know, the reason why is is that the the only certainty um, is the growth of the digital economy. And I think that that has been fast-tracked during COVID. Um, soft globalisation uh, is growing meaning that global trade is 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 growing rapidly and easily without boundaries. So that's kind of an e-commerce play, is that Absolutely. what you're sort of saying? Yeah, which, which, uh, which I'll extrapolate on uh, shortly. But if you look at the, the softening of borders and the soft globalisation, this enables countries to, to trade with each other relatively easy. It's, it enables big business and small business to trade with other countries. I mean, if you think 20 years ago, you would never think that some of the countries that are selling products either out of Australia or into Australia wouldn't have done that um, under a hard globalisation economy. And I think soft globalisation provides that that opportunity. And I think digital is the enabler to accelerating growth and opportunity for clients. Couple that with soft globalisation, you couple that with great capability, I think that clients will start to realise that the, the independent parent company or the independent agency structure is the opportunity for growth because you're not entering a business with, with legacy or legacy type thinking. And again, I'm not talking about all parent companies. There are some very good ones. There's some very good ones in Australia also. Um, 
I won't name them. I think we all know who the good ones are and who the bad well, ones are. Well, I was are. about to ask Simon Ryan, but now I'm not, I've got my answer. But, You're not going to say. <laughs> well, I think if you, from based on what you read and if you read the annual reports, I think you can get a very good grasp as to the successful versus not successful. The important thing, you know, to us, and this is, this is really about answering your question around the why, is that we really feel that now is the opportunistic time or the opportunity to help clients and the opportunity for us is to be competitive, be different, create a vision that encompasses the digital economy and drive positive change for clients. And I think if you want people to follow you, you need a vision. We've got a very good vision, mantra and values in the business. And I think our our clear focus on all that means that we're, we're ready for growth, you know, beyond uh, what we've already built so far. So a lot of what you say is right and true and a lot of companies will will say a lot of what you say, um, and certainly in your competitive set and certainly in, in, in marketing communications, everyone's talking about, you know, digital transformation and first and reinventing their own businesses, that is advisors and, 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 and holding companies. So what puts the rubber on the road on this, Simon, is is what then is Ryan Cap today? What, how different is it than what we see, you know, in the broader market in your competitive set? What is Ryan Cap and what will it look like by, say, the end of next year, 2022? Where did you start? I had plenty of time to think about this. I think you know, <laughs> yes. after, after leaving Dentsu, after having a great career there for nine years, working at Car Sales, which is a digital business, which I love, you know, Cameron and Ajay and all the guys that run Car Sales, full respect to them, they're doing a fantastic job. But that also gave me the experience and knowledge to actually do what I really wanted to do, which was create my own marketing services business. But not only that, but to create a parent company that provides opportunity to, to employ high-performing talent and for it to grow in Australia. And that's that's where my, my real passion is. I mean, look, I'm still a shareholder of a lot of these sort of digital businesses and a proud one and was for a long time uh, at car sales also. So what's important to everyone, they need to realise that now I'm doing something that I really love and passionate about. So what does that mean and, and, and what is, what's the strategic rationale? Uh, and as I said before, we're building a fit-for-purpose, digitally-focused business. Um, there's three key areas to the business. Uh, the first is digital media and that's rival media. Uh, rival media will grow uh, from Melbourne to Sydney to Brisbane shortly um, with a number of organic pitches and M&A in the process. On the data and tech side, uh, Foxcatcher, which is uh, headed by David Gaskell. Um, I think we've been really um, successful in having a strong point of difference in Foxcatcher and, and growing that business um, uh, quite quickly um, from a December launch last year. So there's media, data and tech, and the next move will also be around digital transformation consultancy. And we're talking to a number of businesses in that area at the moment. Is that in terms of acquisitions, you mean, Simon? Acquisitions, right. yes, yes, yes. So it'll be a combination of uh, employing talent and acquisitions. So the so three major components of the business, uh, media, data and tech, and digital tra- transformation consultancy. The, the other part of the business is an investment side. So we will be making from time to time investments into um, various tech businesses, uh, media businesses um, and align businesses to our growth um, and also sweat equity uh, for the right uh, client also. I think it's really important that, that for our staff that we have a really good mix of, uh, of clients that, that are also at the infancy stage because that's where you, you – you, you often learn your most as well. So I think that's an important part of it. I think overall, the, the ethos of the businesses is the businesses are built to challenge convention. Effectively, we are a challenger brand in Australia. Uh, so we'll challenge convention, we'll generate value 
And in my view and in the leader's view, we will move at speed with a relentless ambition to build brands in what is a very fast-changing world. What is the difference, though, between uh, with these business units? You've got media tick, you've got data and tech tick, and digital transformation consulting. Interesting one. We'll come back around on that one, but tick. What is different about the structure, the operational mandates of these businesses that says these are better than what you can get elsewhere? This is the bit where I'm trying to work work through. Sure. So the first thing I would say is is that we're operating with no legacy. Okay. So we're not we're not transforming a business from the old to new. Okay. So we're not taking um, businesses that operated in an old world and putting them into the new world. We're starting from scratch. We're hiring the right talent for the right jobs. Uh, we're an agile business. Um, we've got a unitary structure, which means that the businesses will sit in the same office and they work together. They have the opportunity of getting their own clients and also having combined clients across what is a quite a small operating model. I mean, if you look at if you look at some of the competitors, and I won't name names again, one of them's got 90 brands, one of them's got 20, one of them's got 15, another one's got 12, and another one's got about eight. We we don't want to be that because what you end up doing is you 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 end up growing for scale's sake rather than for capability. And and our plan is very clear and it's embedded into the, into the business and all those who are joining the business, whether they're coming in as employees or they're coming in as shareholders or they're coming in through M&A, and that, that our strategic acceleration through digital-centric capability is the plan and, and the competitive advantage. And I think that understanding the competitive landscape. And I think a lot of com- a lot of agencies or communications businesses don't do the homework on their competitors. You've got to do the homework on your competitors to understand their capability and to be able to execute better. And I think that's, that's a big um, point of difference that we've got. We are hiring, uh, employing and acquiring businesses that are agile, as I said before, unitary structure, they will all work together. Let me ask though, Simon, do you, how do you incentivize um, collaboration in that if you think about S4, they have a single uh, P&L, some of the other groups are trying to go there, publicists in this market's trying to do that. Is that the same as you or is that different to how you're structured in terms of the incentive side of it? The incentive is clear, Paul, and the incentive is the best results for the client. All team members, whether you're working for Ryan Cap businesses or you're working for the big global parent companies, all staff are, are paid and incentivized to ensure that the client is getting the best outcome. We are no different with that. But what we are doing is that we're not taking old capability and converting it into new. We are taking new capability and new thinking, and Foxcatcher is a perfect example of that. it's going to go there, yeah. Where we are building um, new capability. But I think, you know, our approach um, is, is strategic growth that is aligned to the client's needs meaning that capability expansion um, better drives outcomes for clients. So, you know, I don't want to get into talking about incentives for staff. I think, you know, they're, they're all in play and, um, you know, that is in any business and should be in any business. Um, you know, key leaders and staff should be incentivized as, as we are. But our main incentive is to get the best results for the clients. And I think that's what we're seeing so far, and that's how we're picking up business. So let's take you up on uh, the fact that you say your new businesses are, are, are not grounded or are not sort of burdened by legacy. Um, let's try. Fo- let's go to Foxcatcher. Why is Foxcatcher and data and tech then? What is so different about it versus what we might see elsewhere in the market? You know, through my experience, if you look back to the areas that are evolving quicker than what a number of parent companies can actually keep the pace up on is tech, data, automation, addressability, trading desks, 
and all the things that that accelerate at a faster pace in the market, driven by CMOs and CEOs and CFOs and CTOs. Um, CDOs, maybe. We might have missed one there. CDOs. Digital, I think. Well, there you go. Absolutely. Um, But I think, you know, what I set the challenge to David Gaskell was to come up with a strong point of difference in Foxcatcher and how they look at tech and data and how they look at, at a trading desk, for example, to create a strong point of difference in the market, meaning that we have a very different programmatic plat- platform built from scratch as opposed to something that has been built over time. Now, I think, you know, our approach to that has been to use hedge fund technology um, to predict and inform buyers uh, on how much they should be spending or investing, uh, when and where. And it factors in signals uh, from multiple sources and plugs into social media platforms Um the digital, you know, our agency has also launched um, an ID solution to help join the dots in the post-cookie world. Now, I think if you were just to look at the, sort of those three or four points, already you can see a point of difference to what is in the market. Now, again, I'm not suggesting that, that the others are bad, but I'm, what I am saying is, is that we're starting from scratch. We're not reinventing an old way. We're starting from scratch. And I think that, you know, most agencies, you know, out there, this is from a, a Foxcatcher perspective, um, are trading on the same platforms, trying to buy the same media using the same algorithms at the same time, we're not. And we're using different technology, new technology, bespoke technology to get better results for clients that is often assessed every hour to maximise the results of the clients. And I think that, you know, if you if you look at David's history and if you look at the people that he's employing, I mean, we're hiring people that are, are former sort of algorithmic hedge fund traders um, into the business who understand the speediness and the response required to get the best results. Well, you know, it, we don't have the uh, the luxury in this in this conversation to get forensic on that, but it is interesting when you talk about you know hedge funds, foreign exchange markets, and and, and equity markets were a lot of the the early coders that came into ad tech in in 2010 to San Francisco were in fact from the equity markets that are coming across and saying you know they can rework and automate uh, you know what was a what is a 150 billion dollar Digital market, so it's interesting you bring that up. Let's go to rival media, for example, um, Simon. So, what is you know you're, that's a media shop is that's that's harder. So, what is different about rival then? What what, what is it going to do differently? From a rival media perspective, we in Melbourne we acquired a, a small digital agency called JBZ Digital that is now um, rebranded from day one from July one last year um, into Rival Media. Uh, we then employed uh, Joseph Pardillo, who was the managing director of Cara Melbourne. Uh, to run uh, Rival Media Melbourne. Uh, the main point of difference there is that we're starting from a digital perspective first. Um, we do do some non-digital uh, work for clients, but our, our ethos is is designed around explaining and demonstrating the power of the digital economy and how we can improve results for clients. And I'm happy to give some examples around that, but, you know, we pitched and won a number of clients um, uh even post the acquisition and during COVID, which is always an interesting pitch yeah. process. I, I, I love my pitches and I like doing them in person, but pitching over uh, Zoom or Google Hangout is always interesting. The good news is is that uh, Rival Media in Melbourne is quickly approaching 30 clients. Uh, it's got 30 staff. It's doing it's doing very well. And the, the reason why that business is winning is, is that we're starting from a digital perspective first. And I think that, you know, when you can demonstrate to a client that you can get them growth through digital and whether that is through CRM or 
or any other forms of, um, uh, we'll get into brand equity um, discussion soon, I'm sure, um, but where we're focusing on the ability to, for consumers to buy products as soon as they can see them. And as soon as you start unlocking that thinking with advertisers, suddenly you get a different belief structure and a different type of brief. And I think what we're seeing is, is that by focusing on the digital aspect first, that we're actually getting a seat at the table as opposed to being a recipient of a, of a brief, which may be for standard type uh, arrangements. So there's a question coming, you can pre- prepare for this one, Simon, which is, so why didn't you do all this at Dentsu? But we'll get there. Before we get there, though, your talk around digital first, there's some really interesting stuff going on. Let's talk about direct-to-consumer companies, particularly in the US, and we're seeing it here as well, talking to even someone like the CMO at Athena, which is a fintech startup in and around the mortgage market, this $1.7 trillion mortgage market. These digital pure play businesses and direct-to-consumer companies that are setting up, are, 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 interestingly, started off um, launching in digital. And, you know, the um, Dollar Shave Club's a great example of, of, of that. But they are now talking about, well, actually, legacy tactics and marketing and strategy, including legacy media, i.e. television, out-of-home, radio, et cetera, actually can drive, particularly for a startup, can drive awareness and, and, and brand and business faster uh, and achieve reach faster, at least, than you can in a digital economy. And that they are moving, ironically, you've got legacy brands and companies moving into digital at, at, at light speed to catch up with the direct-to-consumer and digital startups. And they are actually moving, um, they're, they're splitting, they're not leaving digital, but they're moving back into legacy to drive growth. It's a grand irony there that, you know, you've got some, some new kids going old and the old dudes going young. Um, so when you talk about digital first, h- how does that fit into a growth strategy for clients if you don't do what is still a significant bit of driving business and growth? It's all encompassing, Paul. I think that we're not saying that one media works over another. I think it's all complementary of, of, of what the objectives are for the client. To take your point around branding and getting mass reach or new entrants into the market, absolutely. There, there, is, there is key media that work for different strategies. And I think every brief you get is a different response and a different objective and a, and a, and a different strategy, but ultimately leads to what are my results going to be, whether it's brand or whether it's sales, or whether it's a combination of both, I think that all media still plays a role. So I'm not here today to try and sell down the path that 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 certain media doesn't work. It's it's certainly the opposite. I mean, but your I, businesses won't do legacy media, for instance. You're only digital only. No, no. We now, as I said before, we do do some non-digital, right? Um, and it's all a blend. And I think you know you got to understand the objectives. I think what our role is at, at Rival Media, and Foxcatcher, and even what will be our digital transformation business. Is to is to focus and understand the power of unlocking um, through media, whether that is through tradition, through non-digital or digital, but it's to understand and demonstrate the power of digital and how we get sales in the door, and then understand the power of other media, whether it's for branding or mass awareness and all that sort of stuff. Absolutely, but I think as as things evolve, we will be buying traditional media digitally, either through. Um, uh, uh, trading desks or through other... Portals, portals and gateways are all Portals and gateways yep, as, yep. We, as we do. And I think if you look at a lot of these um, traditional companies, they're also doing, you know, fairly substantial deals with trading desks around the world as well to be able to capture revenue, not only from Australia, but from overseas. So I think, you know, if you look at the digital landscape, you know, the landscape's certainly grown, you know, in the last sort of eight months, probably two years, you know, <laughs> two years in growth. 
because of COVID and a few other things because it's really unlocked the power of digital, right? So it's our role to demonstrate that to clients, to focus on their growth agenda, but at the same time give them responses that reflect all the attributes that they need in the brief, whether it is branding or immediate sales online. And I think this probably flows on nicely to the conversations that I'm that I'm having uh, at the moment with a number of CMOs and CEOs. And 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 I think it's a part of the reason why I'm in Sydney for the week is to is to talk with a number of uh, CMOs and CEOs and the major media around where things are going because you can only build a successful business if you educate yourself. And and I think after spending you know a lot of time with CMOs and CEOs and we had a pitch this morning as well, um, which which was uh, which was great to see the team in action face to face. Physical, yeah, right. Yeah, phys- yeah so physical pitch. You'd never think. Would you? It was it was Olivia Newton John. You sort of your um your title album there. <laughs> and I think you know if you take a summation of the of the conversations that are happening at many levels, I think the big talking point is around brand equity and the brand image, uh, which is which is acted on by consumers more than ever now. And our role as um, agencies or consultants is to educate and communicate that to the industry, whether that is uh, to staff, to media and to clients, um, because ultimately if you understand that, that is the, 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 the magic to unlock growth for clients. And I think, you know, that is the one of the key things that we do is to be able to explain and how do we unlock new sales and, and, and new revenue for clients. And I think if you look at engagement and brand experiences as sort of like the the, the, the most topical conversation with uh, the conversations I've had with CMOs and CEOs, is that brand experiences to support brand, which is a, a brand commerce approach. So every time a consumer interacts with a brand, you should be able to buy it effectively. And it's also... So there's a call to action on everything is what you're saying. Absolutely. And I think in a soft economy, that's what you need. You know, we're, we're, we're now at this critical stage in the economy where we all expect things yesterday. We want to buy it and we want it delivered tomorrow. We don't want it in a week. You know, we have, we've got the ability now that every time there is a touch point where you like the brand and you can buy the product, that's when that's what C, CMOs and CFOs and, and, and all the other acronyms, you know, that want in a business because it's all about commerce in real time. Then there's clients that we've got and also challenger brands that, have, that are really capitalising on the digital economy. And if you look at Boost Vitamins, Outstanding brand, um, recently sold to PNG. Uh, congratulations to Tom Siebel. He's a, he's a great client of ours. So Voost is one of your clients? Voost is one of our clients, yeah. Specialised, sleep maker, good feet, car connect. I mean, they're, they're all our clients. So let's go to Voost because it's, you know, it's, it's, it's sexy because PNG bought it. So everyone will go, oh, geez, it must be something in that. We better better take another look. So how is Voost? These are tab- well, the ones that I've had. Yeah. Tabs, you drop in, drop in, drop in water and, and you feel... You feel great. So where's the brand commerce in, in the Voost? There's a couple of things. So there's there's the client data, yeah, and they know where they're at. They know where their supply chain's coming in. They know when there's when the supply is coming in. They know their distribution. They have retail distribution and they also have direct-to-consumer con- um, distribution. It's our role to be able to guide people to store and it's also our role to make sure that that, uh, consumers are buying the product online. So through the latest technology as well as their data, we utilise, say, Foxcatcher, for instance, and it's our role to to work through what is a very complicated ecosystem from a consumer side to be able to untap sales um, faster and more frequently. And and I think that's that's a prime example of someone who used to be solely retail driven, who has now got a direct-to-consumer element, who is now utilising media in a very different way to untap new growth and new sales that they didn't have before. 
Right. And and I'm not giving away anything that, uh, that that I shouldn't do because it's all online. You can go have a look at it. But but I think that is a perfect example of someone who's built a great business, really good turnover business. In, in traditional retail distribution? In, absolutely. Who's built a brand, traditional retail, who's now focused on not only that but also direct-to-consumer also, which I think is, as I said before, unlocking new growth focusing on the digital economy and giving it giving it new life also. Not to suggest that the retail channels aren't working because they are, but this is about um, frequency of purchase. This is about making it easy for consumers and it's about complementing um, what people are seeing on shelf. So just going back a little bit to where you were talking about Ryan Cap's MO and digital first and so forth and, and, and what's lacking amongst your competitive set. On that though, Simon, is that why didn't you do this while running Dentsu, for instance? And in fact, if I recall, Dentsu was talking about this digital first stuff, even in media with Jerry, the global CEO, three, four years ago. Um, there was a lot of, you know, that was where the stated intention was. So it's not like rhetorically, at least, your competitors are, are not talking about this. They're all talking about it. But in, in an instance of what you've done here, why didn't you or couldn't you do this at Dentsu? Could you have done it at Dentsu? Well, I think we were. I think that, you know, we, we tried very hard and I certainly tried very hard as his CEO um, and, and that was testament to the, the companies that we were acquiring. I think there were some great companies there that were acquired. You know, there are that the, the business that I ran, I, I ran proudly and I think that uh, we were doing a lot of things right. I think like any sort of, you know, large businesses though, you've got to not only tick the box but you've got to look at the capability that you're acquiring to try and integrate it as quick as you can to, to grow it into what is new form. Um, I think that we did that very well in Australia. So I think when you ask the question, why didn't we do that there? I think that uh, we did. And I think we did it uh, quite well um, at the time. I mean, look, they're, they're onto their second or third CEO now, sort of inclusive of me. So over the years, so I don't know where they're at now. I mean, I full, full respect to the business and, and its leadership, but um I don't really focus on it much anymore. I think, you know, when I left the business, I was very proud of what was delivered there. I had, as I said before, I had nine uh, very fond years there, uh, but I felt that I'd done my job there and it was time to time for me to move on. But I guess the point there is though, you're saying that the point of difference you've got is that you're doing things that others aren't, the, the legacy companies, the big holding companies aren't, but then you're saying they are, so are they, so where do we, so how do we read that? Absolutely. I think, you, you know, back when I was there, you know, we're acquiring businesses with which, with what I thought was the right capability for the future. And I think it, I think it was, you know, when you are running a large organisation, there's, there's things that take time to, to implement and get done. The point of difference, you know, now for me to do this now is that I'm doing it from scratch and I've got the ability to make decisions myself with an investor and I'm I'm one of the investors and we make very quick decisions. We How many make, do you have? We make the right decisions too. Right. Um, we make the right decisions and we move very quickly. I think that when you when you are running a big, low, um, large, you know, global entity and you are uh, running the market of that, there's lots of things that you've got to adhere to, lots of um, protocol and and uh, checks and balances you've got to do. Um, and also you, you've got to, you can't move alone. You've got to move with the globe. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I think the point of difference now is, is that I'm not moving with the globe. I'm moving with what we need in Australia and globally, but what we need here to drive competitive advantage for clients. I don't need to seek approval. I don't need to go through the same protocols. We're just doing it. Mm. So, and again, full respect to the to the old business, um, you know, in every respect. I've got a lot of friends that still work there. But um, I think I've taken what I've learned there. 
um, I'm applying to what we're doing now and we're, we're, we're building and have built a fit-for-service fit for business that is, uh, that is winning in, in what is a very interesting economy. So let me ask, what wouldn't you do? Some of the things you've learnt from Dentsu and the broader market, what wouldn't you do and how different is the remuneration model or the way that the, your new business uh, extracts its margin versus, say, some of the, the, the practices of the, of the bigger companies and what's been legacy practice there. So how do you do it differently? Yeah, a good question. I think that you, you know, if you look at our approach to strategic growth, which is, which is lines, aligned to clients' needs, meaning that capability expansion um, is all about driving better results for clients. And I think that, you know, when you look at big businesses, sometimes you have to do things just for politics and you need to you know, have a brand or you need to have a position on something to fall in line with the global um, uh, mantra. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we don't have that. So I think, you know, our absolute focus is on the expansion of capability for clients for, for no other reason. And I think that, you know, what else did I learn there? Sometimes it's it's not good just to be big for big sake. <laughs> and and I mean that, you know, nicely because when, you, when you've got those big jobs, you, you do need to grow and you you either grow organically or you buy businesses. And I think that, you know, in this business, we want to be big enough to compete, but not too big enough that we can't grow. The other thing is to focus on, you know, small to medium-sized acquisitions with great capability and great talent, because that gives you a strong point of difference in the market. The other thing is, is that if I think back to the past and look at the future, I think data-rich environments are the areas that we should focus on, um, not just scale for scale's sake. And I think that, you know, if you look at our ambition, um, our ambition is to have successful offices across the eastern seaboard um, with capability that will meet the demand of the market. And, th- and that also means we might have, whilst we've got core capability and we've got businesses, it might mean that we, have, we might have a fox catcher in one market but we may not have a rival media in another market. That's okay. And I think that that's, we don't, we've got the ambition but the ambition's got to be matched by the needs of the market. Well, it's interesting you say that because you were talking um, earlier about the dynamics of different markets and, and, and the services uh, that are required between, you know, what, what Melbourne's doing and what Sydney's doing, what Brisbane's doing, is very, very different. Yeah, absolutely. I'm spending sort of three days a week in, in Sydney at the moment, which I'm, I'm, re- I'm really enjoying, by the way. It's good to be back. If you look at the, the, the landscape and the conversations, you know, I spent some time this morning with two CMOs. I've got a CEO meeting uh, tomorrow morning with, with a, um, hopefully a client. But I think if you have those conversations and, and, what I spoke about before around having those conversations with CEOs and CMOs is that you can quickly see the differences in market. And I think that, you know, Melbourne and Brisbane are quite similar markets. You know, Sydney is a very different market. So you've got to be able to to adjust and pivot your business based on the needs of the market. And that may mean that you might have an automation play in one market instead of a heavy staff environment market. Right. And I think that well, that sounds like Sydney Melbourne difference, doesn't it? That is a little bit of Sydney, yeah. and, and you know what? When you roll out to Adelaide and Perth, it's 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 not too dissimilar, right? right? So I think that you know, whilst a lot of large scale businesses um, have a mandate to be active in every market, I think you know my perspective is to have a very good business across the eastern seaboard, um, and in time, if that grows into the other markets, very happy. But I think, Paul, we we might have. Uh, different capability in each market to meet the market needs. Mm. I mean, and also it's it's about not only about the market needs, it's about the client needs. I mean, the conversations we're having at the moment in Sydney um, are largely around the automation and foxcatcher um, 
side of things. We are having rival media conversations, but to be quite frank, you've got to make a business decision um, on whether or not it is financially fe- uh, feasible to have all businesses operating in every market. And to be quite frank, we're currently servicing two or three clients out of Melbourne in rival media that are Sydney-based clients, and they're fine with it. And again, that that's not a COVID-born reality, but it's just the reality as to where the market is going. And if you can have meetings every two weeks in person, you do the travel. So getting back to the bigger picture on Ryan Cap's model then, you, you are, you, we talked about a little bit of acquisitions and, and building up a broader capability. You're making some acquisitions as we speak. What areas and, and why is that? Well, a couple of things. I mean, when you are running an Australian parent company, if you like, or even an overseas one, you've got to, you, there's there's three ways of growing. You know, you can, you can win organically uh, deals or arrangements or you can acquire. And I think that you should always be growing in at least two ways. I think the organic way of pitching and winning um, is the most efficient way of growth. And that is the preferred model of many. With myself, I, I don't mind a blend of the three. And I think the acquisitions that we are currently talking to all in favour of joining a, an Australian parent company, they can see the talent they're hiring. They can see the support that I will give the businesses and our growth in the market, which is um, which is phenomenal. I'm, I'm actually very happy where things are, are heading, particularly from a Melbourne perspective and as we roll it out through through uh, Sydney and Brisbane also with um, announcements to be made shortly. But I think if you if you had asked me around what, what are the acquisitions we're looking for, it's really around the three key areas. So, so it's digital media, it is data and tech, and it's transformation consultancy. Right, so it's right across them. Um, so we've talked a little bit on the on those first two. Um, we, we better get to the third part, which is clearly a very interesting area and a lot of eyes are looking at it. Difficult to look and deliver is probably the challenge there. So you've got a lot of big consulting firms. You've got a lot of some of the, some of the holding companies trying to go there as well. Where do you sit on this? You, talk, you talked about, you know, brand commerce, if you like, and sort of every touch point, and that's part of your remit. But where do you sit in, in the ability, before companies can even do this right, they've got to have the data infrastructure, they've got to have their, their own internal systems and structure optimised as well for this sort of a role. So I guess this is where you're looking at, is this how deep you're looking to go in the consulting bid? Yeah, it is. When you use the term um, consultancy, it means many things. But I think if you if you were to, to look at where the market's at at the moment, there's about $1.8 billion spent in digital transformation consultancy. And that is, you know, consultants going into clients saying, we do an audit and we have a look at where you're at. Um, We assess your current um, supply network or partners. Um, We look at your midterm plan or your board paper ambition. And we assess on whether or not in the current structure, you can achieve your midterm plan or your business plan. and then ultimately it is the responsibility of the digital transformation consultant to work out whether or not you can achieve your business plans through what you've got. Um, and I think what's what's happening is is that a lot of clients are realising that, that their ambition and their plan may not match what they've got. So it is up to the digital transformation um, specialist. And, and you know, as you rightly pointed out, there, there's many out there and there's um, the big boys are certainly... Um, throwing some good talent out at the moment too. So you're talking there in terms of the consulting groups like the PwCs, KPMGs, EYs, Deloitte's, Accenture's. Absolutely. And and again, they're, they're good at what they do. But I also think that, that some clients are looking for a point of difference. I mean, and I've read many a document and... Uh, From those firms? Well, I've, I've seen documents that, that mm. I think are very, very good. 
what is um, often lacking are the recommendations and an implementation strategy and a timeline to actually transform those businesses. And I think that, you know, there's a difference in consultancy. There's front end where you go and do the recommendation and then there's someone who may do the front end recommendation and then help manage it with a supply network. And then there's some um, digital transformation specialists who do those two things, but then also implement it themselves also. My preference is, is that where you actually do an assessment on the current capability of the business to achieve its midterm plan or board plan or whatever, and then come up with a recommendation around what are the key things that they should be doing as a business to transform their business, and then assist that client in um, choosing partners or suppliers to help them on that journey and, and really monitor it all the way through. Because I think one company can't do it all. And this is, you know, after having conversations with a range of clients around this space, you know, I think that the ambition is there and the ambition is great and you have to have that ambition. But often the process to get there is misunderstood. So you really need someone right through the process to be able to go right through to execution, not suggesting that that company should do the execution, but at least assist through that whole process to make sure that the outcome is on is on plan with their, their business plan. From the outside, and I'm not a smart, very smart holding company businessman, Simon, but you'd say that there's obviously a nice Trojan horse opportunity or at least opportunities for some of your businesses to tap on the end of that from a consulting perspective. I guess that's where you see Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Out of interest, Simon, are you going to buy that expertise, grow it, hire some talent to grow it, or is it a mix of both like you're talking about in other areas? Yeah, it's a mix of both, Paul. So what is the business now? What can you tell us about how your clients, the size, your revenues, your people, are you ahead of where you are pre-COVID or when you're adjusted forecast because of COVID? We are ahead. And I think we're ahead because of our pure focus. We're ahead because of the conversations we're having in the market. As I said to you before, Melbourne's ticking along quite nicely. It's 30 staff and 30 clients. Um, you know, the turnover is is good, but the turnover is something I don't really focus on. I think what I focus on is, is obviously we've got to recover costs and make a small margin on the way through. Um, but it's more around the capability that we're, that we're building and the culture that we have. Um, we will replicate that uh, in Sydney and uh, soon in Brisbane also. So I think, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I've got a midterm plan like, and a business plan like I keep referring to before, that clients should have the same. We have the same. Um, where, um, you know, I remind the leaders of that and, and I actually take through um, that with all the M&As that we're, we're talking to as well because for them to buy into you and your plan, you've, you've, they've got to buy into a plan and then get on board and then, and then, you know, we've all got to be on the same train, right? So, you know, I think that's one thing that uh, I think we do very well. So Ryan Cap now, is it a, you know, the group revenues? Is it a range that sits between 15 to 20? Is it 5 to 10? Is it a billion? The ambition is not to be a billion. Right. We've got a really good midterm plan. I, I think the midterm plan will see us having, as I said before, um, active positions across the Eastern Seaboard I think if we can we can grow revenue, you know, to sort of thirty million dollars um, and have ambition around that, I think that's the sweet spot for me. When it's your own business, I think you, what you really focus on is people, culture, and capability. Our ambition, midterm plan, we would be somewhere between one hundred and fifty and two hundred staff by the end of twenty twenty two, and we will have revenues around what I said before. Turnovers are relevant to me because you can get clients that spend. 
500,000 or you can get clients to spend 40 million. So just to be clear though, revenues, when you said before, that was, where am I getting, was that 30? Is that what you talked about? Right. Yep. So around 30 by the end of next year, 2022. Yeah. Right. And that's the ambition. I think that, you know, we could sweat the business and I could buy heaps of things and we'd probably be 50 to 100. Mm. But I think what we've got to do is, is be sensible, focus on, on what clients need and want, present very, very well. It's great to be back in the chair and presenting and pitching again. It's something I'm very passionate about and I think we do it better than most. So who's your so you're an investor? Who's the other investor? Because it's not Harold. Because no, everyone thought Harold. it might have been Harold Mitchell, but it's not. Um, obviously a, um, an early uh, founder of the business that that, that, that yep. bought Harold, the dentist who bought Harold Mitchell's That's business. That's right. But, um, but it's, not, it's not him. So no, it's who not is Harold. it? No, I, I'm not going to tell me. A private uh, investor. Right. You know, I'd probably leave it as that. I think we've got a fabulous relationship. Yeah, I'm happy. Couple of final questions, and because we've been going a, quite a while, can your very quickly can your bigger established rivals reinvent themselves fast enough and well enough? What's your What's your thoughts on that? Because they're all having a crack, right? They're all trying to do it. Yeah, I think they're going to have trouble. Um, and you know, I don't want to sound um, you know derogatory in, or any way because they're running their own businesses and they're doing it in ways that that achieve what they want to achieve in KPIs. As I said to you at the start of our discussion, you know, I've read their annual reports. I know where their numbers are at. I know where their digital focus is at. I have a rough idea of their numbers. I would suggest that that Australia is is futures growth in the industry is around the independent structure and around fast, agile capability fit for purpose, which is what we're doing and what a couple of others are doing. Um, I would say that maybe one or two of them, of the big boys, may not be here in a couple of years um, because they won't be able to move quick enough. Um, and I think that, you know, the other complicating factor there, Paul, is, is that a lot of those businesses are listed. So you've got to make decisions not only for capability but for the balance sheet. And no CEO wants a bad balance sheet, do they? That this may, is the grand tension, isn't it? That may slow their growth. And I think as they, you know, look very inward into the organisation, I think the opportunity for a, a number of independents and, and businesses like, like ours is to really, you know, move away from that and focus on what is the growth potential for clients and, and not deal with with things that they may be dealing with. And, and as, as I keep saying, that they are good businesses and they are doing their best, but the market's moved. Well, uh, we're out of time, but the final question for you, uh, Simon Ryan, is uh, Ryan Cap in 2025, which according to my math sounds something like four years away. Uh, what's the ideal? So you talk about in midterm, end of next year, 30, 150 people, bunch of clients. 2025, does, does Ryan Cap look much different? It could. And I think that, you know, we've we've had a number of incoming um, calls already which have been interesting around uh, would you join us or would you consider this or private equity, you know, sort of making phone calls in saying, hey, we've read your press, it's amazing, would you be interested in doing roll-ups and Right, well, I was going to get to that. Yeah. yeah, and I think, you know, they're, they're all nice conversations to have but you, you, you can't be distracted from your strategy, okay? If you have If you've got a strategy... You stick to your strategy and you implement your plan. The ideal scenario is is that we just build a great business in Australia with some great clients and we have enough revenue to cover costs with a small EBIT and we've got great capability and a, and a tremendous culture. I can't imagine you being happy with a small EBIT. Well, I mean, you, know, you, you, you build business to make money, right? So, And I think whether you're a client or whether you're in the media or whether you're an ad agency, that's what you're here to do and we shouldn't shy away from that. I think as we evolve and change and grow, I think that, you know, the opportunity to join something else or or even do a listing in Australia, which I think would be very interesting. Um, as I said to you before, I'm 46. I've certainly got um, 
time. A couple I'm, of years left. Time my side, and I've and I've got the knowledge to be able to do that. So that could be an option. There has been conversations around that already, but again, I'm not entertaining those yet. We are a new business. We're a year in. We're growing well. We're making the right moves. We'll continue to make the right moves. And I think that if we stick to our midterm plan, which takes us through to the end of 2023, and then we have a plan for two years after that, whether it is to to keep going as we are or list the business, that, that could be an option. Well, fascinating. And I'm sure we'll be following that trajectory as you go. And there's one left, right? There is, well, there's two left. There's WBAU, which is not going to be left for much longer. That'll go to, to WB Global. And then we have Aniro. And that's sort of, well, there's a couple of others there that are two that are in there as well. But really fascinating if you go that way or which way you go. Simon Ryan, thanks for the time. Thank you, Paul. MI3 Audio Edition was presented by Paul McIntyre. That's moi. Producer Nick Slater. Music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to podcastone.com.au or search MI3 Audio Edition on Apple Podcasts and hit the subscribe button. Listener.